the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Some people ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. All right. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being with us tonight for this edition of the Bible Live broadcast. Stacy is here at my side. John's sitting at the phone waiting to get your phone calls this hour. If you'd like to call in and be a part of the program, 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. As we continue now through, well, tonight we're actually going to finish our readings of the books of First and Second Chronicles. So we're going to finish the book of the Chronicles, and this coming week, just for your interest and uh, and enthusiastic, uh, looking forward to this anticipation, uh, we're going to be into the book of Romans, right. the wonderful book of Romans in the New Testament. Uh-huh. This most most uh, theological, uh, most the most theologically complete, I would say, presentation, in some ways that pa- the Apostle Paul gives. As you as you know, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a trained, highly trained theologian. He was uh, a student or uh, a disciple of a man named Gamaliel, who was on the Sanhedrin. You remember him probably from the gospel readings. Um, Paul was his student. And we don't know exactly when. That would be a good question is to know how long he had been studying under Gamaliel, or Gamaliel as some people, however you pronounce it. But um, we... What did I start off? What words I'm talking about? <laughs> We're going to get into the book of... Oh, yeah. And that Romans then, uh-huh. Saul is... His name is Saul, uh, his, uh, I'd say his Hebrew name, uh, Pharisee of the Pharisees. Uh, he was a opposing, an, uh, an opponent. Uh, wouldn't even be so kind to opponent. I think he was an actual enemy. Uh, he was a, he was a, a um, very intensive, uh, angry enemy of the way. That was what uh, those who followed uh, Jesus as the Messiah, it was called the way. Uh, he was an opponent. He was an enemy. He he was a, in some way presided over or officiated over the uh, stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. You can read about in Acts chapter 7 and 8 there. 
in, in, the, in the New Testament. So Saul then uh, becomes a, a convert. He, God works in his heart and his life. He has this experience, you know, the, what we call the Damascus Road. He was on his way to the city of Damascus to, uh, to torture, to put in jail, uh, perhaps even to to kill more people from the way, followers of Jesus, and he had his own personal encounter with Jesus. Now, we don't know what all went into that. Maybe he was already shaking. Maybe he was already in the depths of his, in the core of his heart and soul. He was already shaken. Maybe something he saw in Stephen's experience. The, the courage and the faith with which Stephen approached death, his own coming death, maybe that shook him to his core and he was already realizing that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on the wrong side of this. I'm wrong about this. Who knows what all was going on, but he had his own personal encounter with the Savior on the road to Damascus, and uh, he was born again, just transformed entirely. Jesus, uh, Jesus called a man named Ananias to go. The Holy Spirit called him to go out and get Saul or Paul. Now uh, he had been stri- struck blind at the time he met uh, the Savior, and he said, "Go out and, and uh, you're to pray over him. He'll be healed of his blindness. He'll, you know, you'll uh, baptize him. You're going to." help welcome him into the family of God. And he said, no, Lord, I don't want to, don't you know this guy's out killing us believers? And he says, don't, don't, don't say that. Go do what I say because I have chosen him for he has, there, he, there is much that he must suffer for my name's sake. And in the rest of the book of Acts, we see, in fact, the apostle, his transformation uh, into a powerful, powerful messenger and ambassador for the kingdom of God. And um, along with the other apostles, Peter and James and John and and Philip and others that we meet, and others, the new believers, Apollos and Anna, uh, um, Sapphira, um, Ananias. Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, so you've got this whole story of the book of Acts. But the reason I'm pointing out Saul to you is that he starts a lot of these uh, he goes on four mission tr- trips during the book of Acts, and he begins new uh, congregations. He takes the message of Jesus to the Roman Empire almost entirely across, even into Europe, in modern-day Europe. And he, the, the gospel just explodes across the, the world, of the known world, civilized world of that time. So uh, that is the Apostle Paul, and he wrote a letter to the believers in Rome. And it, he had never been to Rome at the time he wrote them. So unlike the other letters like uh, Corinthians, Ephesians, and um, Philippians and so on, he had been in those towns. He had been to those cities. He had preached to them personally. So he didn't have to give, uh, when he wrote them letters, it was basically following up on what he had preached to them. So he would answer questions and he would clarify certain issues and so on. But but he didn't have to give a whole, totally complete presentation of of um, his understanding of then of uh, uh, of God of God's acting and working through and with and around the people of Israel as he prepared them for the Messiah and in the coming of the Messiah and how now the gospel is exploding across all the different people and language groups of the world 
to the Romans, he does. He has to explain all of that. So the book of Romans is the most complete, those 16 chapters, uh, they represent a very, very complete presentation of the uh, of the new theology, the updated, upgraded version 4.0, would you call it, or 5.0 version of the gospel. Uh, he goes back as far, even predating the, the Jewish experience, Abraham, he goes back and shows how God dealt with human beings uh, in the pre-Abrahamic times, uh, in times and situations where people did not know about the laws of God and, and Jehovah God and the and and uh, how God had revealed himself through the people of Israel and their experience. Uh, he talked to the people how God had revealed himself to them through general revelation. And then he brings it forward all the way to the time of Messiah. And he talks about now how God is dealing with men and women now in this particular age, in this particular. And this isn't necessarily chronicle uh, uh, in, in the sense of, uh, God always acts to all people in, in a different age the same. There are still men and women in the world today, even here in the United States of America, there are hundreds, thousands, millions of people who are still responding to God basically by general revelation. They still they don't know anything about the Bible. They may have heard the name Jesus Christ, probably used uh, profanely in some way. But in other words, God deals with each person based on what the, he has revealed of himself to them. And so there are people even today, I've visited uh, Mongolia, India, China, Kazakhstan, Ukraine. There are people all over the world, down in Latin America, and even here in the U.S., who are still responding to uh, a, a, an incomplete uh Revelation of God that God has given. So you have general revelation, and then you have special revelation, but special revelation was rolled out over centuries. Uh, and It's the same, only one God, only one salvation, only one Savior, only one mediator between God and man. But what people know of that, what people understand of that, is the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing people, revealing himself to them, in and through nature, in and through the witness of God's people, in and through television sets and radio programs and things that are used. So uh, we see Paul now in the book of Romans, though, gives us that very complete theological presentation all through the history, tracing the history of humanity and how God is there faithfully presenting, revealing himself and calling out a people for himself. Did I say anything there that made sense, Stacy? I think so. Have I said a mouthful? <laughs> what book are we in again? Yeah, well, we are in the book of First and Second Chronicles. Exactly We're in the right. Bible. Yeah. It's okay. We're in the Bible. That, and we read this past week the chapters nineteen through thirty-six. We finished up the book of Second Chronicles uh, this last week, and uh, as I said, this coming week, tomorrow night, Monday evening. We start out with the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. On your, and birth, we'll read, on your birthday. On my B-Day. What yes, a birthday indeed. gift. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Donald Trump and I share the same That's birthday. Right. June the 14th, and flag, flag day. Flag day. <laughs> and so um, he's a little, a uh, tiny bit older than I, I and, think. And for John's sure. sister as well. John's sister. How about that? Hmm, What's yeah. her name? What's her first name? 
Kara. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Kara, to me and you and to Donald. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's where we've been, Second Chronicles 19 through 36. And one of the things I wanted to do this evening, we're going to cover the, the kingdoms from Je- King Jehoshaphat uh, all the way to the end of the book, the final uh, king of Israel, Zedekiah. And uh, I, I do want to apologize. I have been trying my hardest to get uh, a lot of better, a lot of additional information on our website. I have not been able technologically to do it. Now, I've got a specialist I'm calling on this week. Hopefully, I'll learn how to put, uh, I have a wonderful time chart, a date uh, date with dating from the time of the first kings and when when the different kings of Israel and Judah reigned, when the different prophets of Israel and Judah reigned. Uh, exercise their ministries and you can see it on a timeline that will really help you to think through the time of the kings uh, and and i think that would be very very helpful to you as well uh but in, in the book of chronicles of course we have a very special timeline we have a very special um history here it's a selected history as we've told you before uh the scribe ezra is writing the, uh, this select history. It only covers the kings of Judah in the south, the lineage and the dynasty, the uh, the royal dynasty of David, David, and then Solomon, and then Rehoboam, and then Abi, you know, Abijah, and, and on into the kings that followed. Um, so, this book of uh, Chronicles then is a very specialized history that just follows up on those particular kings. I've got that but I, and and I have another chart that would show you that and you could follow that as well. But uh we are we picked up we've already covered the kings of Judah, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, and now in these readings this week we have come to Jehoshaphat and we'll we'll talk about Jehoshaphat, we'll talk about Jehoram, Ahaziah, and then the only queen that Israel, that Judah ever had, is Athaliah, and Joash is after her, and Amaziah, Uzziah, who is also called Azariah, uh, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amon, Josiah. We'll talk about Josiah this evening, another big name among the the uh, in the lineage of David, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim. And then finally, Zedekiah. So we'll try to put those in, in order. We can't, this cannot be a total, every, you know, every talk about each one in depth and so on. Uh, but that's what the, the books of Chronicles are about, following the lineage of King David. And, and tonight we pick up uh, with Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and the He reigns during the biggest challenge, the, the biggest challenge, existential uh, threat to the kingdom of Judah in the south under you know under the the uh, leadership of the Davidic line. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel, as you know, reigned over Israel in the north. But Jehoshaphat is so intent; he has a lot of zeal for God. He loves God, and he has a zeal for God's people. It is my theory, personally, this is just Soapy Dollar, having read it many times, I think Jehoshaphat was being stirred and moved, motivated to some extent by a desire to effect 
a, a unity to effect a peace, a oneness, a harmony between and a reunification between the ten tribes in the north and the uh, uh, tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south. And in his zeal to do that, to bring about that unity and harmony, he he um, he never he never act, actually con. Uh, uh, he never actually has to. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when uh, um, he never had to sacrifice his own beliefs and faith in God. Right. Okay. But but he comes close a few times. Um, what do we say when the Democrats and the Republicans get together and they try to make law and they have to uh, each of them have to change their stance? Compromise. Thank you so much. He never (laughs) compromised his faith in God, but he comes close in several occasions in terms of his relationship with Ahab and Jezebel. And he allows his own son to marry their daughter. And that is what brings along the reality of uh, Ahaziah after him and in Athaliah. Mm. That's what Athaliah is born out of that that Mm -hmm. plan that he had. And she becomes an existential threat even to because she kills all of the Davidic line. She murders all of the children of David. And I don't know what would have happened if God had promised that someone of his lineage would be on the throne forever. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's ultimately going to be fulfilled through Jesus, the Messiah. But. That would have cut it off right there, mm-hmm. and, and yet, but it didn't. It didn't. Uh, God and that moved. That kind of will give us into the attributes of God in just a little yeah, bit. Exactly. The next exactly we'll right. God yeah. moved to save one of those children. His name is Joash, and he gets he saved from the slaughter uh, when Athaliah kills all of the Davidic line that uh, the heirs of David. One is saved. And believe it or not, he is saved by his aunt, Jehosheba, who is Athaliah's daughter, Ahaziah's sister. Uh, it, it, is, it is crazy, but she they find this, this infant. He's an infant boy. They keep him. They save his life, and they keep him in the temple safe for seven years. Now, the safest place to keep him was the temple because nobody ever went to church anymore those days. So, right. so it was isn't safe. In, yeah. Isn't that interesting, though, uh, just how many times in the Bible that story comes up? I mean, yes. from Moses oh, over to and Jesus. Over, I mean, yes. Jesus to oh, here. Oh, and oh, the, before the, Moses, look at Adam and, Eve. Adam and Eve. They had two sons, mm-hmm. Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. Cain kills Abel. <laughs> Yeah. So there goes the godly. Abel was the beginning of the yeah. godly line, the right. people who followed after God. And Cain was not. Mm-hmm. What did God get? He gives him a third. Seth mm-hmm. comes and he continues the godly lineage mm-hmm. the, so until Noah. And in each time. Isn't that interesting, it, though, the human instinct, though, yeah. to take it? I mean, it, to to when when I guess they feel or I guess when power feels uh, when your power threatened, threatened to lash out and to try and crush oh, whatever God's doing. It has to do And it with, never works. <laughs> it has to do with pride. It has to do with as you say um, money. Money at times. Uh, power, power. Power over others, influence, um, fear. Possessions, fear, mm-hmm. all kinds of motivations. But but uh, God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you were alluding to. I was thinking that tonight, folks, what we might do 
as we think about these kings of Israel and kings of Judah, uh, and it gets very complicated. Even as we've already mentioned to you, uh, these stories are very complicated. Things happen in uh, on earth among human beings. Uh, good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Uh, and the, but the but the point we want to make is God's plan is never overwhelmed. God's plan is never compromised. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what we talk about. Two things, two aspects of God's character. One is called omnipotence. God can do anything, I- I- anything he desires. Nothing is impossible with God, his omnipotence. And then there is his sovereignty. And sovereignty of God, and I'm, I'm wanting to talk a little bit about these attributes of God. Uh, there are, I've, I've written a paper, which I want to put on the website so that you'll have it. But I have listed one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen uh, attributes of God that are now attributes. Uh, I guess you could use the word characteristics, but the, the word attributes is used uh, because they have more of a sense of permanence. The attribute they're not just characteristics in a moment, you know, the, right. but the attributes of God are traits within the Godhead that. The, the God of the Bible that he has revealed to us in Scripture and that these are these are always true. They are never, ever compromised and they are never, ever uh, broken. Uh, they, they are absolute and these are the attributes of God. Let me just read them to you quickly. Uh, these will be on our website, thebiblelive.com. Once I find the means to do it and get them on there, I'm going to have them there. And each one has a definition that comes with it to help you understand actually what it means. For example, the first one says infinite. God knows no boundaries. He is without measure. This attribute by definition impacts all of the others. Since God is infinite, everything everything else about him must also be infinite. So the other, it affects the other attributes. So God is infinite. God is eternal. He always has been. He and is and will be forever. He dwells in eternity. Forever just eternity is not just a long time. Eternity is an existence outside of time. God created time, can see the end from the beginning, uh, and uh, he can has spoken and acted within time and space, but he is not subject to time and space. So we have God is infinite. God is eternal. God is self-existent. Remember when Moses asked talking to God and said, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am the one who always is. I am who I am. Or uh, I understand that actually the future tense of that verb is actually what's used. I will be what I will be. Uh, so God is self-existent. No beginning or end. He is, simply is. He is self-sufficient. He has life in and of himself. All other life is a gift from God, flows out to other beings from God that he has created. Uh, To God, nothing else is necessary. He has no needs and there's no way he can improve. I mean, there's a little... A little background on each one of these. I don't want to go through every one, but I end up doing it, don't I? <laughs> he's infinite. He's eternal. He's self-existent. 
He's self-sufficient. Pick up there, Stacy. You go sure. through them, and you won't be tempted to maybe <laughs> fill in the blanks. Okay, well, he's personable, personal and knowable, so he's a relational God. Um, he's a triune God, so he reveals himself in three distinct persons. See, uh, that's related to the aspect of being personal mm-hmm. and knowable. Right. And these the, are, so mm-hmm. far, they all kind of relate to one another, but mm-hmm. they are distinctly, they're unique. You did mm-hmm. a really good job here, I think, of, of pulling. Thank you. Uh, uh-huh, you did. Uh, he is good. God is kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward all his creation and creatures. God is love, holding the well-being of others as his primary concern. Uh, And I love would only be possible, and I I love this as a triune, personal, and knowable God. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Relational. Love is, uh uh-huh. He is holy. He is set apart from all created beings, completely unique. You know, I've got to go back to that. Okay. Because one of the, uh, and and I was was working actually on this paper, Uh it was when, I don't know if you remember, this was only a year or two ago, you asked me the question, Dad, uh, the Bible says God is love, right? Yes. Then let me ask you this. Before God created anybody or anything, who did he love? No, I didn't. I didn't ask. Uh, it was um, it is one of the uh, one of the reasons that Nabil Qureshi uh, converted from Islam to Christianity. And uh-huh. he talks about it at length in his book. But I remember you asking was, me that question. Maybe you were quoting him or citing mm-hmm, him, yeah. but that was the, yours was the first one to me. Wow, that is, that's right. Yeah. I mean, love is a relational right. term. So uh-huh. it had, to, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Honey. Uh, God is good. God is love. He is holy. Holy. Mm-hmm. He is just. God is perfectly and absolutely fair and right in all His ways and judgments. Uh, he is mer- oh, boy. That's a yeah. He is merciful. That's an incredible, yeah, isn't it? It is. Right. That, uh, see, that is, has a that has an application. Well, all of these have yes. an application. And I'm thinking that in the books of the Chronicles, when we have these kings coming and going, and good kings and bad yeah. kings, and good things and bad things, and this that and happened, uh, three steps forward, two steps backward, and that sort of thing. And we need, we get to see here God's omnipotence at work, but his omnipotence functioning in the context of a, a world where good and evil coexist, right. where good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people. And right. but his God is able to bring about his absolute perfect will, even in this a morally complex world, right. which is sovereignty. That's yeah. his sovereignty yeah. at work. Uh, merciful. Merciful. God does not give us the punishment we deserve. He is merciful. I love how that, of course, interacts with justice, uh, mm-hmm. mercy and justice. God is grace. And then you got grace. And then you've got graciousness, his grace. God withholds the punishment we deserve for our selfishness and sin. But he also bestows favor and blessings on us that we do not deserve. So he doesn't give us what we do deserve. That's mercy. And then he gives us blessing and favor that we don't, we don't deserve, deserve, which is grace. grace. And we'll finish these. We're at our break. And so we have uh, about six more. And, uh, and then we'll talk about how all of these interact in today, but uh, in Chronicles. Yeah. And how we can see these at work in real life human situations. Yeah. For example, in the time of the Chronicles and even today as well. So don't go away. The Bible Live will return and uh, right after this short break.
are back. This is the Bible Live broadcast. We're making our way through the entire Bible every single year that goes by. This is our 20th year since 2001. We've been going through the Bible every year. Uh, our readings were at one time Monday through Friday on the evenings. You could hear the Bible readings. Now the Bible readings are at our website, thebiblelive.com, thebiblelive.com. And this past week, if you go to the website or have it on your cell phone or whatever instrument you use, your desktop, your laptop, whatever it is, you can find uh, each week, uh, Monday through Friday, a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures. And we make our way through the entire Bible every year. This past week, we finished up the books of First and Second Chronicles. We read chapters 19 through 36 of Second Chronicles. And uh, so that's what we're commenting upon tonight. Uh, Stacy's here with me. We're going to uh, talk a little bit about these kings as you go through the books of First and Second Chronicles, the kings of Judah in the south. This is what the book of Chronicles is dedicated to. Um, it is a select history written by a scribe named Ezra who accompanied um, many thousands of people who returned from uh, the Babylonian exile. Seventy years, the people were taken out in 586 B.C. Uh, there were three actual uh, times when they took people. Uh, 607, 605, and then 586, oh, 590, 605, 597, and 586. Uh, these three times they took people out of, uh, of Israel over into Babylon, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they went out in the first group, 605 B.C., but then in 586, they not only took people away, but they destroyed the city, left it in ruins, uh, and so they began the 70 years of exile taken uh, out of the land. And then in uh, 515, 70 years later, Cyrus was now the emperor, and he, as had been prophesied and predicted, a, a, a king named Cyrus. Jeremiah is the one who sets that out for us. I have that written down somewhere. Where did Jeremiah prophesy, Stacy? Do you remember when Jeremiah prophesied uh, that Cyrus would allow them to, to um, leave a king mm -hmm. named Cyrus? Uh Somewhere, but many hundreds of years before Cyrus was even uh, born, yeah. uh, Josh, uh, Jeremiah predicted that uh, he would allow them a an emperor named Cyrus would allow them to leave. And, and David, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Daniel, more than likely, Daniel, who was alive at that time, picked up on that prophecy. And who knows may have actually shown it to, um, may have shown it to Cyrus. There it is. Mm -hmm. I prophesied that after 70 years, Jews exiled in Babylon would be allowed to return to Israel. And that's in, that's Jeremiah. You can look in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11 and chapter 29, verse 10. Uh, many, many years before Cyrus came, was around, yeah. Jeremiah said that they would be able to return. And see, and there's the last, several things about that 
prophecy that were unusual. One is no emperor ever allowed the people to yeah. return. Mm -hmm. Taking them out of their land, they're taking the ruling class, for example, and the gifted people out of the land, that was self-serving. In other words, they served the, the new emperor in his palace mm -hmm. and in his administration. Plus, it removed the uh, the possibility that they would raise up a rebellion in this way, because in fact, in this particular case, Daniel and the others were actually made where they couldn't have children. Mm -hmm. So they so they accomplished a number of things, and they took them out of their land, and they didn't return them because the last thing you'd wanted them to return and set up a kingdom again and rebel. And, but in this case, Cyrus did. Mm -hmm. And he allowed them to return uh, 70 years later. And that was Ezra, who was one of the leaders that took them back. And Ezra now has written the books of First and Second Chronicles, a selected history, just following particularly and specifically the kings of the south, the kings of Judah mm -hmm. uh, and Benjamin in the south, the lineage of King David. And so he only follows them. He doesn't bring in the kings of the north as is, as we see in the books of First and Second Kings. He is trying to remind these returnees uh, that are, have migrated back to Israel. He's trying to remind them of who they are, what is their heritage, their legacy of faith. Remind them of their God, the covenant that they have with God, uh, that God would guard them and keep them and preserve them as they would serve him and help make known the name of God, and that through him he would bring ultimately the ultimate uh, descendant of David who would be the king of Israel, the king of all God's people everywhere. Uh, that, that Israel, the little people group of Israel, was only a, they're just a picture. They're an example, a picture of, uh, of, what, of God's plan to draw out from all the human race a people for himself. And so true Israel is even all of us Gentiles now who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We've come to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah himself, through the witness and the testimony uh, 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 and the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, his disciples, and through the centuries now, thousands and millions of believers. So uh, we are now Israel. We are spiritual Israel, God calling out a people for himself from the entire human race, the physical Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their descendants, the physical people of Israel, the nation group of Israel, uh, they were a picture of, they were an earthly example of God's dealings with uh, with all people everywhere. They, In other words, the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and later with, uh, with uh, Noah, and then with Mo, uh, Abraham, then with Noah, and then with Moses, and then with David, King David, these covenants, they were earthly covenants. Mm -hmm. There was one aspect of them that was earthly. God says, I will bless you here on planet Earth. I will keep you and preserve you as long as you serve me, worship. Uh, I will bring blessing, and I will bless you, and you. I will use you to bless other nations as you are faithful to share the message of the true and living God with others, then that that was they weren't very faithful in doing that. They were kind of on again, off again. David was one in particular that was very good at it. He he understood it. He caught the vision of who they were in God, and he shared with other the Queen of Sheba and the other kings of other lands. But so that's they were a picture of the earthly covenant, but the, the spiritual covenant had to do with the whole human race through them. 
God would be faithful to bring the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, who would be the Savior of the world. And, and that's why you were saying before we went on break that so many times during the what we call sacred history or the history of the Old Testament, we see, uh, well, actually we see Satan, the spiritual enemy of God, working in and through and with the human race to try to disrupt mm-hmm. God's revel- God's redemptive plan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Cain killed Abel right mm-hmm. off the bat. Then ha- God brings along Seth. And then there are other people. And then there's there's Noah who's who is preserved when all the humanity walk away from God. Noah is preserved to keep a godly seed. And then, and then the languages are confused. And so that breaks us into people groups so that we wouldn't walk, mar- march lockstep into judgment again and the whole human race be killed and destroyed again under judgment. Now it's competing interests in people groups, but the whole human race, there there are always those who follow after God. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we just see God keeps revealing himself through the ages and Messiah comes. It busts out all around the world. And now today there are people in every race, every tribe, every people group around the planet Earth, every language Worshiping the true and living God made known through Jesus, you know the what, Messiah. Right. You know what Chronicles kind of reminds me of? I mean, and it is a lot of repeat from Kings. Uh-huh. And, so, and so it can be. But, it, you know, it's it's like the movie version of the Kings. In other words, I, what Ezra is trying to do is remind people that for this chapter, at least, this was the this was that incredible, unbelievable happy ending that you know they 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 were hoping for that they would get to return and build rebuild a temple and uh, and that would give them hope for the for and said so this was we went through and so this is Ezra recapping we went through this we went through this there was this there was this and then you know when you asked or when you said the Jeremiah that is the last verse in chronicles actually or the second to last where it ends with a reminder Remember, Jeremiah said we would go back, uh-huh. <laughs> and nobody who who would have thunk it. No, and yet nobody and, would have mm-hmm, even believed it mm-hmm. because that never happens. No right. emperor ever right. allows the people to return. Right. But this is the God of these attributes. This is a different. This is God, though, and God said, and He spoke through Jeremiah, and see, He does what He promises. He does what He yes. says, and that means then that not only in this instance. It's happening, that but it gives us hope and a reminder that one day he's going to do the ultimate. He is going to come. He is going to that Messiah. Anyway, I just I think that's Oh, yeah. It, it, you, you're you're catching the excitement. Uh, uh, this is the too. thrilling, <laughs> exciting thing right. that I have I've begun to see some years ago. It, it just it keeps on growing within me. Yeah. It just keeps bubbling up into this amazing understanding of the greatness of our God. Mm-hmm. Because, and I, and I want to somehow try to convey it to our listeners tonight, Stacey, that let's just take this very moment we're living in in human history. They're over, they, they say, they tell us that there are over 7 billion people on planet Earth today. Those are seven billion individuals that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God, knows and loves and is actively pursuing each and every human being mm-hmm. in every situation on planet Earth, every mm-hmm. setting, every tribe, every tongue, every village, whether they live on an island or in the mountains, in the desert, or mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, wherever, whatever in the rainforest uh, of, of, of the Amazon, everywhere at whatever level of sophistication or intelligence or whatever, age, children, teenagers, mm-hmm. middle-aged, married, single, older folk, mm-hmm. God is act. I met a man this past week mm-hmm. who came to faith in Christ at 68 years of age. You told me that. You were Amazing. really excited about that. I told that. him, I said, do you realize how much of a rarity you are? Because the older people get traditionally, or at least mm-hmm. statistically, the less likely they are able to uh, die to themselves, to make a total absolute change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's not that normal. But so old, young, in between, God is calling out a people for himself. Now, what we want to see and what I wanted to use the attributes of God tonight as it relates to the book of First Chronicles is to understand that these attributes of God function in a very complex world. In other words, uh, God is absolutely omnipotent. He can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, and how he wants, but he has put... He created a world that continues, and he put, he put, he created this world, and he put the laws that govern this world, he established the limitations of our world. Mm-hmm. And so every single thing that happens in this world, on planet Earth is, is something that God himself, in his omnipotence and in his sovereignty, has allowed. So every mm-hmm. every option, every every combination of of events and and uh, um, what do you call them? Uh, acts and reactions, um, mm-hmm. actions and reactions, and so on. Every possible conceived uh, 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 event is. And and the, and the interesting thing to know is that there are millions of millions. There are billions of us on the planet. Each of us are making decisions every second, every. 30 seconds of our life, we're making a decision that bounces off another person and makes a difference in his life and his reaction and his reaction. Everything becomes so incredibly complex. You know, there, there's a several movies, you who love movies, along this theme. Do you, have you ever watched or read the book Dune? D-U-N-E. Jessica, you know, worked on the film. Is that right? Your yeah. friend Jessica? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I never Stacey lived and worked in Hollywood for a number of years, and so she's very, <laughs> loves films and movie making and storytelling. Nor, nor seen it yet. But so. Dune, Dune was made into a movie, and it, it is a book that talks about, it has a messianic character in it, and so it's a very, it's science fiction, but he, one of the things that in the book of Dune is that he is given the ability by this certain, by this certain, it's fictional, of course, by this, um, uh, this, ah, it's a dust or something that they mine and then they, when they drink it or eat it, it, it opens their, their understanding and their insight to where they can trace option A, B, C. What if you choose B, C? It brings up this option and that option and, and it gives people the increased ability to see, uh, actions and reactions and effects. And, and, and cause and effects down the line, and and there's another movie more recently. I think uh, what's her name, Johanna um, Jonas uh, Scarlett Scarlett Johansson stars in it. It's uh-huh. called uh, Lucy L U C Y, uh, yeah. and in that movie, they she is also this chemical uh, gives her the ability to start seeing all of these relationships and see that. And so human beings are aware of the complexity, but 
this isn't what we're talking about is not fiction the the god of the god who created this world created the world that we live in he created all the love, laws that govern the parameters that govern our experiences and then he works within that without offending the free will of any human being now the human beings do exercise free will in the context of god's sovereignty god is in control of everything but it his attributes are, are absolute god is absolutely omnipotent and totally and absolutely sovereign but our free will is conditional we make real condi- real decisions but they are we choose between the options and the alternatives that god in his sovereignty has made possible for us. Mm-hmm. So we, we live and choice, move and breathe within the parameters right, of his sovereignty. Right. And the, the main choice is to choose him or to reject him. I mean, that, that, that kind of at the, that Ultimately, at the that's what it's the end of the trail. Mm-hmm. That's why you have heaven and hell. Right. I mean, ultimately. And when you choose him, the, you, you are choosing him and, and, and the attributes of him, who he is. And the order and the consequence, uh, mm-hmm. the good consequence in this case, of his order and his his creation. And, and you're choosing you that without understanding it, because I was, for full, example, I was seven years old sure. when I trusted right, Christ. Right. So I didn't not understand all this, but that's the idea is yes. that he's a person. God, he's, he ch- <laughs> you're God yeah. and I and you are in right, control. Right. And you do. Even if I didn't know these words or these attributes, right. that's right. the God I was. Now, after many, many years following him, trusting him, growing in him, learning of him through his word and through others. Experiencing his promises and the mm-hmm. keeping of his promises. Uh-huh. Then these become more real and more defined for you. And we didn't actually, speaking of, um, finish the last six. And so okay, you, yeah, let's do that. I know, real quick. So graciousness. So we had left off on that one. Well, and let's go. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's self-existent. He's self-sufficient. He's personal and knowable. Relational, in other words, he's triune. He is God. He is good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is love. God is holy, set apart from all other created beings. God is just. He is perfectly and absolutely fair and right in all of His judgments. He is merciful and He is gracious. Well, that was the last one we said. He's merciful mm-hmm. and He doesn't give us what we deserve, but He's gracious and He goes beyond mercy. He actually. Um, bestows on us blessing and favor that that we do not deserve. So he doesn't not he not only does not give us what we do deserve, he gives us blessing and favor that we don't deserve. God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. And then there were six or seven more. Sure. So sovereignty. God actively rules His entire creation. I'll read. I'm going to go ahead and read the definitions mm-hmm. of especially sovereignty and omnipotence because yeah. that's what we were talking about specifically tonight. Uh, tonight, he has established its parameters, its limits of his uh, his creation, the laws that govern it, and its certain conclusion. Thus, he is absolutely and ultimately in control of everything, free and able to do what he desires. Salute. It is exercised within the limits of God's sovereignty. Man is responsible for his choices in life, and then omnipotence. Omnipotence means God is all-powerful, and his power is infinite. He does allow his creatures to have some power, but this in no way diminishes his own. He expends no energy that must be replenished. When the Bible says God rested on the seventh day, it was not because he was tired. (laughs) Uh, He chose to. I like also how you said uh, 
sovereignty is how God exercises his omnipotence. You hinted that and thought that was really good. Uh, the last uh, And let me just mention one uh-huh. other thing there. It's related to the idea of his justice. God exercises his sovereignty amazingly in such a way that he never has to abuse the free will mm-hmm. of a human being, either of his children, mm-hmm. who in our case, God is free to use us because we have given ourselves right. to him. Right. And so we made ourselves available to be right. a vessel for him to work in and through and with us. Right. But even without God, he is free to you, like he used to Pharaoh in Egypt. Mm-hmm. He used uh, Balaam's donkey. Mm-hmm. He used people, sometimes used wicked people, for his own purpose. Mm -hmm. Cyrus was not known necessarily to be a believer. We don't know that for sure. He might have been under Daniel's Mm -hmm. influence. But what I'm trying to say is that God uses even sometimes wicked, unbelieving people Mm -hmm. to accomplish, to bring about his purposes. Uh, Nero, Herod Herod the Great, and others, that God used them uh, uh, without abusing their free will, Mm -hmm. but his sovereignty... Trumps, you know, mm-hmm. even our, our free will mm-hmm. in that case, but especially God's people, He is free to use us because we've given ourselves to mm-hmm. Him. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, yeah, that it, it is. It's a, an important point to remember. Yeah, it is. Um, well, and so the last, so omniscience. So omniscience means He's all knowing. His knowledge is perfect mm, and infinite. That's important. Yes. Isn't that amazing? When you think about all of the little data points that God has to know and be aware of mm-hmm. in every human being and every. Mm-hmm. He knows everything about everything in every moment, and he doesn't have to bring it up out of his yeah. memory. Go, Isn't let me see now. What so was the uh, what was the uh, what was the formula for the square root of the? Uh, you know, it's always right there. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is that one is probably the one that humans most. Well, I don't know. Maybe in, especially in our today's uh-huh. age, maybe knowledge. You know, we we are in an era of we want to know everything. In that sense, we want to know. And and we know we do. We have so much at at our finger fingertips, and still yet, and st- we we cannot possibly yeah. know to the level that God does. And that's re- that's really comforting, um, especially when c- you combine His knowledge and His omniscience with His love and His what, goodness. And his yeah. goodness. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah. What, who is it that says what we really all long for is to be known and loved? Um, what, to be loved but not be known is shallow. To be known and not loved is what we fear. fear. Uh, and what we want above all is to be known and loved. Uh, I thought that was a neat. But it, mm. so omniscience. Um, he, is, um, he is immutable. This simply means that God never changes. For example, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is wise. He is faithful, and He is omnipresent. God is everywhere present at all times. He is faithful. He, do, he does what he promises. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does not lie. And of course, we see that some of the prophecies that mm-hmm. we mentioned even uh, tonight. Uh, the, whole, the whole redemptive plan of God was predicted, was laid out and was told this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Even in the book of Genesis chapter 3, it said that, that a Messiah is going to come. I'm going to send a man of oh, yeah. the seed of the woman. Right. Not going to be an extraterrestrial. It's not going to be a uh, an animal. It's not going to be an angel. It's going to be a human being, mm-hmm. a male of the species, mm-hmm. which narrows it down to half the human race. And he is going to 
destroy mm -hmm. Satan and his work, what Satan did to mm -hmm. try to interrupt the, the redemptive plan of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was predicted way, and it keeps on predicting. Mm -hmm. All through the Hebrew Scriptures, God's plan. Chronicles, and with all the complexity of these different kings and the different times in which they lived, the different experiences that had, good kings, bad kings, and so on, we're trying to use it as an occasion to highlight the God of the Bible, and not only get to know the Bible, but get to know the God of the Bible who directs uh, and orchestrates uh, this history that we've been reading about. We'll come back for our final segment. We are open to taking your phone calls, 210-340-9585. Don't go away. Can you hear all oh, right? that's better. <laughs> oh, it helps when I pop the music down a little bit. Yes, okay, we are here. <laughs> this is our third segment, folks, and tonight we I hope it's been helpful to you. We've we've been reviewing what we read from the books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles. We have we've just finished completed reading the book of 2nd Chronicles this past week. But we're using it as an occasion to highlight for you um, some of the the attributes the unchangeable attributes of God. Now, the, the reason I think that's so important is that uh, obviously the uh, focus of this program is getting to know the Bible. The Bible live is what we're talking about. We're getting to know God's Word. Um, we'll read through it, let you have a chance to hear the entire Bible every year, a good, clear, modern version of the Scriptures, the New Living Translation, 15 to 20-minute reading every weekday, Monday through Friday, and then uh, the entire Bible every year. So we, I want to give you a chance to hear the Bible itself. That's important. Uh, on the other hand, though, we not only want to get to know the Bible, and we every Sunday night, Stacy and I are here to talk to you about the readings from this past week, what we read about, the people, the main people, characters we read about in that particular book, uh, but also ultimately our desire and the objective of Bible study is not just to get to know the Bible, the book itself, but to get to, get to know the author, to get to know the God of the Bible. And what we have highlighted tonight for you is that uh, in the Scriptures, throughout the Scriptures, God reveals himself. He doesn't. Now, there are some passages that say, that say things like uh, uh, God never changes. He's not like, a, uh, you know, like human being. He doesn't change. God is just. There are passages that lay out some of these, but not it, it isn't like, well, these are my attributes. Uh -huh. uh, I am infinite, eternal, self-existent, self-sufficient, personal and knowable. These are lists, and there you'll find different lists that different authors have made over. Um, J.I. Packer, remember, uh, his famous book is called Knowing God, and yeah. it talks about the God of the Bible, the different attributes and some of the different um, ways that he presents himself. And you can learn from all of these. I have a list here of, I guess, I think we said 16 or 17 attributes of God. And what you want to do is, you, as you take these and apply these, you never want to compromise them. If you're ever tempted to compromise them, then back away from it. There's another solution. There's another. There's another way of understanding. And for example, one of the classic ways that sometimes people tend to compromise 
the, uh, for example, the sovereignty of God, mm-hmm. is that they uh, they create a clash, they they create a conflict or a contradiction between uh, the free will of man and God's sovereignty or, or God's love. Even, or, and oh, God's yeah, sovereignty. God's love and God's justice uh-huh. is another. Mm-hmm. There, there's a perceived, well, God loves it, but but he but he has to judge sin, and so mm-hmm. and of course the those two things the are reconciled through the cross of Jesus, mm-hmm. who is the per, who is the perfect expression of God's judgment, His righteousness, the condemnation, God's judgment, and fell upon Jesus in our place. Mm-hmm. So His His judgment is exercised. God judges sin. Uh, condemns and judges sin, but is also the perfect expression of God's love, mm-hmm. because in Christ He is our substitute. Mm-hmm. We are atoned; our sins are atoned, and we are received into His family. So you, you see that. But but I, I think th- a lot of time people don't understand the conflict between God's free man's free will and God's mm-hmm. sovereignty. That either one is true or the other is true. They can't both be true at the same time, and. And, and the what you need to understand, maybe even some of you listening tonight have struggled with that question and that that problem. There are people in the Bible, uh, Habakkuk, uh, others, many of the prophets question Job mm-hmm. questions God. How does this sure. work? You know, how can you be this and that? And yet you've given us this. And mm-hmm. um, but but the the how to reconcile God's sovereignty with with man's free will is to understand that God's sovereignty is absolute. He is always sovereign. He is he is always in control. He is he, he has set the boundaries. He has put the parameters of our experience. Now we make real choices, but our free will is not absolute. Uh, in other words, we ultimately choose between will I know God or will I reject God? Those are our ultimate and, you, and there I will I will know God and no peace, no God, and no His blessing. No, no God, and go to heaven, or I will reject <laughs> K- God. K and O W, not N O. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I will know. I will. I, I, I will. I will. K and O W. K and O W, God, will, K-N-O-W, <laughs> God or, or I will reject God yeah. and yeah. go to be separated from God forever. Uh, so, it, but you don't have the option of I'm going to reject God and I'm going to go on to eternal bliss. Right. That's not going to happen right. because that isn't an option that God has given us. Mm-hmm. And so we make a real choice ultimately between those or in between even smaller choices. We make a real choice, but our 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 free will is conditioned upon the parameters that he has uh, created. You might get a little bit of an idea of it if you take someone who, for example, uh, someone who creates the game of football. Mm-hmm. Or soccer, or creates the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. This person creates, in in essence, he creates a world. There is a, a little universe of things that can happen, in the in, in this hundred this field, a hundred, well, hundred and twenty. What is it? Hundred hundred thirty yards long, fifteen yards mm-hmm. in the uh, in the end zone, okay. I believe, yeah, I can't and fifteen remember. yards in each end zone, and a hundred yards uh, in playing field. So you have. All the things that can happen within that per- the parameters of that playing field, and and he's right. He created the 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 uh, the boundaries, and he's created the rules that govern how you behave and what's going to happen to you if you do this, that, and the other. And 
And so in a sense that God has created, but a, a billion times more complex because it encompasses all of human life, every human being, animal life, every kind of, all of human existence, and every possible sequence of events or consequences, uh, actions and reactions and so on, um, cause and effect. So God has created, but everything that happens on the field is governed by his rules, his laws. And so it's a little bit of an example, very poor and very tiny, but... So if a goal goal is scored, the player can say, I scored a goal, and God can say, I scored a goal. I scored a goal, (laughs) yeah. Or or the the quarterback can make a play, call a play, or the defense can call a a, a blitz. You know, the linebacker is going to rush the the, uh, passer. And, And I did this, I did that, I did that. But ultimately, the guy who invented the game he actually he did, did all. That, all of that, too. So you right. can see how this could work. And maybe that's helpful to somebody out there who's struggling a little bit or been working or trying to understand a little bit this idea of God's omnipotence and his sovereignty at work in a world uh, where free will does indeed exist. Well, let's, let's go back. Sure. Go ahead. Well, I think, uh, real quick, Kelly, maybe one of, speaking of the ultimate sort of decision and, and free will would be, so if someone says i reject god i do not want to be in his presence for eternity i do not want heaven mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i would i do not want to subject myself to his authority mm-hmm. and rule and so god would say okay and so he gets a place where there is no god nor the attributes of god mm-hmm. nor his creation which would be what we would say is, is hell. He still exists under the authority of God. He doesn't escape that, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the to endure the presence, presence. of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there. the man would say he chose hell, and God would say he... Thy will be I, done. Uh, uh-huh. You're... you're <laughs> you know what C.S. Lewis said? There are two yeah. kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God ultimately says, them, thy will be done. Ooh, that puts a, <laughs> puts a whole new meaning on the word, thy I will be know, done, doesn't it? Right, yeah. But, uh, and, and that's why, we, we too, we want to call upon people to... To trust God, know God. The God of the Bible is good. He is loving. He yeah, does love right. you, care for you, desire the very best for you. I like what you wrote here, too, about the, the conclusion of the attributes of mm-hmm. God. I like to uh, this is the Well, dis- I like it when my daughter likes something I wrote, so that's good. <laughs> well, it's very good. This is the description of the God of the Bible. All of these 19 attributes that you listed that are just... Uh, unique and, and different, but they also interplay and interact with one another to create this exactly what we would hope our go- a God would be. Would be I mean, life, if we yeah. were trying to to write or create a God for it, th- this would be Him. And the the dream, it, it's true. <laughs> That's yes. the, the beauty of it. It's true. That is who He is. All other d- ideas about God are false, and if maintained, all other ideas, upon, yeah. right? All other ideas are false. And if maintained, and like it, for I think a lot of times is, well, God must hate me, right? Or uh, so God is a hateful, you know, he hates me. That is false. And if maintained and, and acted upon will lead to problems and difficulties because those ideas will not accurately reflect the reality of our existence. By learning the attributes of God, you may praise God for who he really is and your understanding of our lives, of your life, will be enriched. As you learn to act on the truth, God will reveal more of himself to you, and your daily life will be impacted in a positive 
way. Mm. I thought that was yeah. that's great. It's a very practical, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. Well, I, uh, interestingly, I, I could only write this. I could write this in a scholarly way when I was probably a teenager even. I could get out of a book and I could write these things down. Mm, right. But now after yeah. many, many decades of following, I, I realize that it, it, it's this is the God. This is a God I can love and serve. Yeah. This is You've Now, this is the God we it. could make up. I mean, we could, we could, what is it, He's, Lewis says again, that this is not a God that we would create if we could or could if we would. You know, if, if we wanted to, we couldn't have actually fashioned. Uh, this is the God that truly is and mm-hmm. has revealed himself yeah. as he is right. to us. And mm-hmm. that, that is a, an amazing thing. Well, let's go back to finish up our consideration of the book of Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, folks, I have given out the phone number, 210-340-9585. But we've been so intent on on uh, chronicling the, on the attributes of God and giving you the idea that the book of Chronicles is a great opportunity to see these things at work. For example, uh, let's talk about some of these guys. Um, you could almost pick out anyone. I've already mentioned. Uh, I've already mentioned the fact that uh, uh, how Athaliah became the only queen that is that Israel ever had, and that she killed and murdered the uh, the other six uh, Jehoram, her husband. Son of of uh, Jehoshaphat killed his other six brothers and sisters, and so he couldn't. Ha- they couldn't have the lineage of David. They couldn't become king, and so uh, we see humanly what they were trying to do. But God's sovereignty steps in, and one of those children was sovereignly mm-hmm. preserved. Mm-hmm. And through an amazing series of circumstances, God used even Athaliah's Athaliah's sister uh, uh, to save this one child named Joash. And he, at age seven, was placed on the throne, and Athaliah was was uh, taken off the throne. And, and in fact, Athaliah was killed, and Joash became the king at age seven. And followed the advice of Jehosheba, his aunt, Athaliah's daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just amazing the series of what we call coincidences, you know, mm-hmm. dinks. But th- these, this is the sovereignty of God w- at work, even in the complexity of human free will. Mm-hmm. And God is still able to bring about his perfect will without abusing the free will of any individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's now as God's people, we get to be on the positive right. side of that. And that's without, our joy, our yeah. thrill. And without His love, or His justice, or His mercy for every single person having been being compromised, His it is full. So, you know, it, it's a hard thing to hear of murder or of somebody even being willing to murder. And you got to wonder, but His hand, He was. He, it's not as if he wasn't a part of that and somehow it's not as if that wasn't yeah. in every way somehow being worked to bring about to redeem to he's he's it, it, which is just an amazing 
you know, when you talk about his sovereignty, it's not, it's not as if he wasn't sovereign with those six brothers. Right. He was still was so- sovereign. That, that's, <laughs> that's something I, I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes our faith and our belief system is attacked because, you know, we, what is, what would you say is one of the most repeated if, if mantra, uh, if, if Christians have a mantra mm-hmm. uh, the Christians have is God is still on his throne. Oh, yeah. No matter <laughs> what happens, you know, the, the yeah. COVID virus strikes, uh, this happens, somebody gets this, somebody happens, there's a train wreck, there's an airplane crash, there's, and, and ultimately we're trying to cope right. with it in our grief and in our pain and our agony and our confusion. Yeah. And we, we fall back on, well, we know that God, at least we know God's still on his throne. Not, mm-hmm. and, and what, we, what we're trying to say tonight, and not that that's not true, but that it's not just a cliche. It's right. not just a mantra yeah. that we somehow make up and fall back. It's the truth. Yeah. God is indeed on his throne, and, and all things are working out according to his plan. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says a very interesting thing. And by the way, we're going to read the book of Romans this coming week. So join with us. on uh, t- Even tonight, you can go. It's starting at midnight. You can go uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, I think it is. <laughs> you can go and pick up, start listening to the book of Romans as we make our way through it. And, and Paul says something in chapter 8 that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. And it's a very common, very well-known verse of Scripture that we fall back on all the time. We, it, It's filled with such hope and such. But I, I guess what we want to, trying to do tonight is say that it's not just an empty promise. It's not just there is indeed a conspiracy of circumstances at work mm-hmm. in, our, in the human history. And everything is, everything is and will continue to, to work out with God's plan in mind. And mm-hmm. some of the worst things and difficult things and failures, even in my own life, I've seen God's grace in his forgiveness and his cleansing, making me grow, causing me to grow, causing me to change and be transformed. And also even using me sometimes in my weakness, he'll use that to encourage another brother or sister that someone watching me. And they will be encouraged and built up or reached with the gospel because of that. So uh, what we're trying to do tonight is to to take these attributes of God out of the realm of just sort of make-believe and you know idealized sort of things, but to realize that they are really true and they are always true. And that if, as you get to know God, hang on to these attributes as you... Uh, all of us are theologians at some level. We're mm-hmm. all... All of us, at some level, are are, are study, students of God. We want to know about God. We want to know who He is, what He's really like. And there's a there's a little bit of theologian in each of us. And, and as we get to know these principles about Him, don't compromise them. Hang on to them. And if you're tempted to say, "Well, God must not be always sovereign," because sometimes uh, Hitler can rise up and do this. You know, if God was sovereign, He wouldn't let that happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just what you have to learn is don't don't go there. Don't. In other words, it's our it's our lack of understanding and understanding the complexity of what's happening and what God is truly doing. That so hang on to. No, I know that God is just. I know God is merciful. I know that now, and He's eternal. Mm-hmm. So not everything God, not every attribute, not every solution is going to be carried out in this 
participate in this human experience in human life. The 70 years of my life. Some of my healing is going to take place when I get to glory. Mm -hmm. Some of the transformation I'm going to experience ultimately when I get to be with God forever. And even when he, uh, I mean, even the, the Messiah, I mean, Jesus did it. He paid it all. It is finished. And then he, what did he tell him? And then they killed and him. Then, <laughs> and then, right. And then they, well, they killed him. And, and, then, and then the resurrection and then the, the, the ascension. And what is he says, wait, wait, though. Go and tell everybody. And that, But I will return. So even still. I will be with you always. I will be yeah. with you always. And I will come back for mm-hmm. you. We, we are, so there's a, a, another, you know, they were looking for him, looking for him, looking for him. And we still, we, we still we we wait. We live for him. We tell about him. We have a relationship. We, we can know his word. We have a, the the Bible. We can experience the mm. church. We mm. can learn about him through uh, through the miracle of the church body, and uh, and of course we have the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit with us. And but we've we been told that you know, and we've also been told that you know, in this world you're going to have tribulation. Oh, yeah. Things yes. there will be pain. There will be suffering. And so that's the amazing thing, one of the amazing things, many amazing things about Jesus is that remember what he said, no man takes my life from me. Mm-hmm. I freely give it up. Mm-hmm. He intentionally went to Jerusalem. And we're called knowing to do the what same. He, and we're called to lay down our lives in that same way. Yeah. And, and, and that's if we understand how he did, the mindset that he brought to it was that, you know, you're not taking my. I, I'm. I'm doing God's will. I'm intentionally walking in God's will, mm-hmm. and nothing is going to. And I'm. I'm going to rise in three days. God's mm-hmm. going to. You know, we can have that same confidence, that same faith, because He did. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so this is all very, very practical. I know it's a little bit in deep water, theological waters tonight. But let's try to finish up with just a few thoughts here, though, about people. There was young Joash we have to talk that was in our story, uh, and and Joash, this young king, grew up to be a godly king, served God. He walked away a little bit after Jehoiada, his mentor, died. The, the high priest that was his mentor, but but he he did okay. Then there was Amaziah, John, um, Joash's son. He did some good things, but late, sinned and later in life by worshiping idols. He brought back from battles, one against the uh, Edomites. Then uh, then there was uh, you, his son Uzziah, Azariah. He's called. Remember, he's the one in Isaiah chapter six in the year that King Uzziah died. Also, the Lord, he reigned over Judah for fifty-two years. That's why. That's why Isaiah was so sad. Uh, when Uzziah died, he had it'd been a long run of, of stability and, and righteousness under Uzziah. And then we start with the kings when when uh, this is. Then we start with the kings that reigned when uh, um, uh, the Assyrians came to power in the north, and so they began to be threatened from the north. You be, you come under. Uh, Ahaz, then you came, come under who was a wicked king. Then Hezekiah comes along, and they're now under threat from the north. Mm-hmm. From um, uh, oh, I, I never get this guy's name. His name is very uh, hard to pronounce, actually. Uh, in the, from Assyria, and, and then um, then we see we had uh, Hezekiah. Uh, then Hezekiah was a great man of prayer. You can read about him. Uh, in the book of Chronicles, and after Sennacherib is the one I'm trying to think of, the king of Sennacherib of Assyria. Um, 
he was going to attack them, but God preserved him from uh, from the Assyrians. And in fact, is God had the Assyrians destroyed as they were trying to destroy. And then it was so many decades later that that the Babylonians rose up, and they were the ones who ultimately began to attack. Uh, Hezekiah, then Ammon, then young Josiah, this eight-year-old king, comes to sit on the throne, and he discovers the scriptures that had been abandoned, and and they were refurbishing the temple. He finds finds the book of the law, and he reads it, and it leads him to a personal uh, personal revival, and he reads it to the people, and it brings about national revival in the land of Israel. It's just astonishing to see the sovereignty of God at work in and through and with and around the people of Israel, keeping his promise to bring the Messiah to the whole world. Woo! We made That was a a marathon. Thanks, folks, for being with us. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday night. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.